Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blur with a love of artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production compared to its original source material and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year 20th Century Fox started putting holographic stickers on their VHSs to prevent piracy. Oh my God. Don't, you know what, actually, you know what I'm going to say right now? We don't like you, Maurice. We don't like Maurice. <laughs> It's a call forward, oh, guys. It's a call forward. <laughs> <laughs> as we are continuing our coverage of Young Justice, as we are now fully into Young Justice Invasions, this is season two of the show. And today we are covering episodes four through six. And that was a title Salvage, Beneath, and Bloodlines. So the timing for these episodes is going to be from February 13th to February 28th for those who are following along in the mission log that we're doing. Also add like 40 years to that, which is going to be a big reveal. Um, Spoilers, there is a big (laughs) reveal at the end of one of these episodes. Uh, So because we get introduced to so many, uh, I feel like so many new characters um, unfortunately, I don't have a pun about piracy because uh, piracy is bad. I don't know unless you mess around with One Piece because I like that kind of piracy. <laughs> but because so many of our characters today got introduced and they're kind of like tagging along for the ride, I uh, felt like it was appropriate to call this one side kicking it with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, the piracy is a very small part. So the sidekicking <laughs> is, is more appropriate. All right, so jumping in, we have our cast list. Uh, first off, we have Kevin Graveau, uh, known for his dominating appearance as a lichen in the Underworld series. Uh, he brings his deep voice gravitas as the unknown partner of the lights. Uh, next up, <laughs> I just think this one's just super funny to me. Kelly Hughes, know her as the voice of uh, Cheshire this entire time during the series. Uh, she's also providing the baby squeals of, spoiler, her and Red Arrow's daughter, Leanne Nguyen Harper. Multi-talented. I love it. Word. Uh, Next up, we have some static alums with us today, as we have Jason Marsden um, and James Arnold Taylor, who are now voicing the characters Bart Allen Impulse and Neutron, respectively. And finally, we have um, three moments of inclusivity here today in our episodes uh for the beneath episode so shout out to just the intention that was taken to doing this because there was an intention to hire indigenous people for these roles we have greg rainwater of osage and cherokee descent he is returning to voice the character long shadow and on the dc animated universe so for those who are familiar with the ultimatum episode in justice league unlimited You'll know this character a bit. Michael Horse of the of Yaki Descent is voicing Howling Long Shadow. 
you'll probably know him as Tonto from The Legend of the Lone Ranger and Deputy Hawks in Twin Peaks. Not the live action film. That way oh, that no, was no, Johnny no. Depp. Okay, right. Okay. No, the other long action <laughs> live action film actually before Johnny, which actually received just as just as much like critical like backlash. <laughs> unfortunately. Lone Ranger's out here by himself. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, um, Irene Bedard of Inupiat Descent. She was the voice of Pocahontas, the non-singing voice of Pocahontas in the Disney film. Uh, she's providing the voice of Shelley Longshadow today. And just to make sure that we are acknowledging this as well, Andrew and I are both recording on Lenape land. So want to also make sure that we acknowledge that as well. All right. So now that we, our characters are all set and um, we're about to see who all these new people are as we boom tube over to the beginning of Salvage. We got Red Arrow looking rough. This man has a midnight shadow. It's way past five o'clock. And (laughs) (laughs) he is, uh, we catch him. He is stopping a robbery in progress, but he actually takes a little bit on the side. He steals from the thieves. And look, you know what? I'm not mad at him because the store owner is insured. He's got it. He's fine. It's all it's all on camera. Um, but his, his allies are not so happy with him. So we do see Green Arrow is watching and observing. He's fine. He's found Red Arrow and is like, okay, this guy needs a talking to. And while he is out here robbing the streets, we have the team that is, uh, they're they're not ready for the next mission quite yet. Yes, uh, because before they're getting ready for the next mission, they are leaning onto the scientists of Star Labs. We have some Adam Strange and Eduardo Dorado Senior. Uh, they're pulling forth the Erdell Initiative. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if there's a connection there, but they're preparing the final things for the Zeta Shield, which will finally put a shield against all Zeta tubes and. Um, Zeta access from unwanted people just to Justice League and those who have access. So this is a quick, I guess, quick reminder that shield your home with Zeta shield. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So now that everything is all set, um, we see that McGann, Lagan, Mal, and Jaime, they are there in the, uh, in Mount Justice. They're hanging around with Lucas Carr, who has upgraded from uh, principal at school to now homeschooling Garfield. Uh, clearly, because as we remember, Lucas Carr, aka Snapper Carr, was the uh, Justice League correspondent back in the day before he basically revealed where Mount Justice was because he was like, I want to become uh, a MANA member. That's the Make America Nat Normal Again member. I'm just going <laughs> to keep on bringing <laughs> that up because I think it's very hilarious that he did that. Um, but meanwhile, Superboy is unsure what to do next because, um, well, he sees that his ex-girlfriend and her new man are hugging it up. And for some reason, Lagan is wearing a short sleeve shirt. I-, I just had questions about that design and why that was happening. Guess he just wanted to stunt on Superboy and say, I wear more shirts than Superboy does. I don't- <laughs> oh, damn. Superboy does only have one shirt in his closet, though. <laughs> Uh, so because of that, Superboy is quite upset, so he decides to head on on his own. He sees that most of his people are kind of tied up in their own thing. Um, 
so he just decides to grab Jaime uh, or Blue Beetle and they decide to go along their own journey. As we see now, we circle back up to Roy, who is, again, just, uh, I don't want to laugh because I hated this man entirety of season one, but like he does stumble when he tries to zip line through the rooftop and I did that loose a little chuckle when it was just like, ha, that's what you get. Don't come <laughs> after Aqualad. <laughs> he, he had this one coming a little karma a little karma <laughs> um but he is confronted by green arrow black canary his uncle guardian um nightwing and kid flash they're all here to check on him and say look you've been off doing your own thing for so long what's going on and he reveals that he's been stealing money to try to raise funds to find speedy uh because their efforts in the last few years have gone nowhere. So before he goes anywhere, Black Canary is like, let me test you. Immediately takes him down to the ground. And uh, I love this exchange where he goes, she's like, oh, you're off. Roy treated his body like a temple, but not you. And and, <laughs> and Roy, and he's, Red Arrow's just so caught up in the fact that he's a clone. He can't get past it. So... Part of this is his angst about trying to find Speedy. Um, and the other part is just he's doesn't know who he is. So as we as their intervention continues, we cut over to Blue Beetle and Superboy, where we find out that Ted Cord's dead, guys. <laughs> yeah, so this is some spoilers for people who are highly anticipating the uh Blue Beetle live action movie. Um, so com there, there's not much I can provide here in terms of like comic book knowledge, except for like in the comics, Ted Core does get killed. Uh, it does seem like in this continuity, we are moving with the that the light was responsible for the death of Ted Cord, who was again the first Blue Beetle, didn't have as many superpowers as um as Blue Beetle does. Think of him more of, I really don't know how to do Oh, think of him like the Phantom. You know that, like, that comic book character oh, yeah. from back in the day that wore all purple? Yeah. He just wore all blue and had, like, a way better temperament. So while we're there learning about uh, Ted Core, this is where Blue Beetle kind of provides that, you know, he believes the Scarab to be some sort of AI that Ted Core created. Superboy shares that, you know, he knows that Ted Core is a good person. And this is where Superboy finally reveals the reason why he grabbed Blue Beetle and Wolf to tag along with him on the super cycle. And it's because after the explosion on Molina Island, where the Crolitaeans were um, destroyed due to a random bomb that was there during the uh, our third episode of season two right now, uh, he believes that the bomb was connected to the Intergang, who we met during the Disordered episode, being run by Whisper Adair, as well as Bruno Ugly Mannheim. And this is where they decide to go investigate it because they find out that the two of them are still messing around with some kind of crazy alien tech. And they head on over. They find this white van that they're driving in and realize that they're heading over to the Hall of Justice. Yeah. And uh, here is another classic thing of Justice League. What, what the hell are y'all thinking? Because it turns out they keep statues <laughs> of defeated ele enemies called the Elementals, not to be confused with the ones in Far From Home, because um, these are real. And apparently Ugly has the, the apocalyptic tech to wake, reawaken these Elementals and 
kind of sick sick them after the heroes. So the heroes are like, we could dig out ugly, no problem. But it turns out ugly has some apocalyptic tech, apocalyptic <laughs> tech. <laughs> and when combined with the elementals, um, Blue Beetle and Superboy are quite outmatched. Um, Blue's attacks are getting bounced back. The sphere is helping a little bit to negate some of the actions, but not enough. And I do love Ugly's uh, line here about like, he could, where Superboy gets knocked over and he's like, do you want to kill him? It's like, nah, that'd be too hard to kill a Kryptonian. Let's just get out of here. I, I feel that. I feel that. Like, just sometimes it's not even worth the effort. Um, so as they get away, we again get a little bit of of Red Arrow. We find out that usually when they clone people for the process, the original clone material is deleted, which means that is a high chance Speedy was unalived, which also further devastates Roy, makes him even more angsty than he already is. <laughs> before we cut back to now, Superboy criticizing Blue for not doing the required reading. Yes, we learn here that um, we get a name for these characters, uh, like their their government name, if you could say that. Uh, they're Appalachian. Uh, these are beings that came from another world. This is all being told to us by Superboy. He tells us that they are beings that came from this other world that came to conquer Earth and the Justice League before they were even the Justice League. The founding members, they each took on like a different set of it. Um, unfortunately, separated, they were not able to take on this creature. But together, when they joined together, they were able to um, finally take it down. And that's why they decided to keep the husk of these Appalachian warriors, these like elementals, in the Hall of Justice to commend them coming together and basically revolutionizing the superhero world. Uh, that was your required reading. There will be a test later on tonight. Uh, <laughs> Still a very dumb idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never leave your trophies inside the same place. They're easily accessible. Yeah. So now if things weren't bad enough, now they're, they find out that their elementals are heading towards a nuclear facility that happens to be nearby. We also get a, a rare moment with the villains where Adair is saying... She just senses the elementals feel sad. There's something mm-hmm. ugly, of course, doesn't care, but he does feel, but she does note that there is something off. These elementals are having some kind of emotional resistance. Um, and as they head towards, as the elementals go towards a nuclear facility, we get a shadowy villain that's like, yo, this could be hilarious to watch to see what happens next. But just in case, they also, Sportsmaster, our boy, the villain mm-hmm. who deserves to get more killing, um, he's out there <laughs> and he's sent to clean up the mess that Ugly leaves behind. Um, so now it's it's an all-out brawl between Ugly and Superboy and Blue Beetle, and you'll never guess who wins. No one. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> because they lose control of the thing as it immediately starts attacking everybody heads on over to a nuclear facility luckily enough though um blue beetle is able to i'm just gonna call this staple gun um this attack of his where he just sends out a binding thing to that looks like a staple and 
he's able to attach all of them to um to some trees by which i mean ugly and whisper as they continue to head on to take down the um to take down the the Appalachian Elemental Beast. Uh, we cut back to now where it's like about to break through. A lot of this dialogue, of course, by the random characters wondering what the heck is that thing. <laughs> um, as the security guards are looking on, realizing they're about to either lose their pensions or lose their lives. So they immediately start shooting at it. And this is where, um, you know, Blue Beetle's like, maybe there's some way that we can like communicate or talk with it. And this entire time, the scarab is talking to Blue Beetle. Like, he's the only one that hears it. So the scarab says that, like, you know what? Maybe actually kind of singing it a lullaby or talking to it calmly might be the best approach, which leads us to immediately jumping over to the next, of course, our B plot here of Roy having his intervention. Um, I do love this moment here because as they're talking about being friends and growing up with each other and training alongside each other. Of course, Roy or Red Arrow is just like, Wally, I don't even know why you're here. You ditched the hero game. But Wally's just like, I did, but I'm not ditching my friends. To which Nightwing shares that, like, you know, we realizing and doing all the math, Roy was never our fan, our friend. Um, Speedy was. You were. Because if we look at it this way speedy was grabbed right before right when he started working as operating as speedy they didn't meet and team up with one another until well after that so all those years of being like it's got to be roy or nothing it doesn't matter to them because to them they don't know roy they know red arrow they know this clone speedy yeah it was it was a nice moment because i think i don't think it had been brought up before about their friendship and the specifics of it so yeah, that's something he can't take away. The The last three years of friendship have been with them. So, you know, they they dropped the episode title about you think you can salvage my soul because he's so mm. angsty in this one. <laughs> and after hinting that Calder needs to see the light, um, Roy um, goes off on his own, intervention having seemingly failed. And now we get back to the nuclear... Uh, the nuclear intervention where after Blue Beetle communicates with the elemental villain, it reveals it wants to die. <laughs> Real depressing episode here, guys. <laughs> and Because Connor immediately says, I can relate. I'm like, whoa. Word. Boy. Word. <laughs> Black Canary needs another session with you because you can't be out here saying stuff like that. Get talked to somebody, please. Um, and Right before they can think about maybe we can bring the elemental back on our side, maybe they can be a force for good. The shadowy villain attacks, killing the elemental, and that leaves Blue Beetle mournful of just like he really did believe in those last moments he got through, and he could have he could have been like a Solomon Grundy, a, a like a thing on their team, but instead it is just in pieces. Um, and unfortunately, Ugly and Whisper didn't do much better. Yeah, because unfortunately, when they return, uh, Superboy and Blue Beetle, they see that both Whisper and Ugly are completely unconscious. Um, they don't know what happened at first. 
you know, it does seem like Superboy is kind of blaming Blue Beetle for everything that went down because, you know, he, there's it doesn't seem like there is a true knowledgeable extent of Blue Beetle's powers. So Superboy, upon seeing that um, these two are kind of knocked unconscious, it probably could also be bringing back some memories of him what's been making him quite upset with McGann over these past couple episodes of season two because they are put in a very similar position. Um, so they decide that, you know, maybe they should just, you know, they are alive. The villains are alive here. So, but they just decide to bring them in for some medical care as, um, we see that Sportsmaster returns to tell his partner, the partner of the light, um, again, that the, everybody's all good. So it's clear that Sportsmaster was involved in some way of knocking out Whisper and Bruno, but now it is an important day because we are jumping off to the next day. As we mentioned, this whole, all these events started on February 13th. So Wally returns home on February 14th. And there is a, at first it's an unknown woman who's just passing back and forth, asking him how to go with speaking with Roy and everything. And he just says that unfortunately it was a fail. And that he has a <laughs> Vietnamese literature paper due in the morning um, and even asked if he could copy off of hers. And this is where it gets revealed that finally um, Wally West listened to the words of our boy Kent Nelson and got himself a little spitfire. Yeah, now this is this is endgame right here. Wally is dating Artemis. They're in a great relationship. Looks like they're healthy and out of the hero biz for the most part. And Artemis isn't the only... Uh, one in her family that has a relationship because Cheshire shows up to Roy's apartment and says, Hey, you got a daughter, kid. <laughs> Apparently Roy and Cheshire didn't stop hooking up. Um, after they're married. <laughs> yeah. They, they really didn't stop. And Cheshire reveals that, look, you're not going to be a good dad to your daughter in the state. So guess what? I got a lead for speedy. We're going to go find him. Trust me. I, I work in the shadows. So with that, we are now ready to step out of the shadows. Maybe even go beneath them. I don't know if that one really worked. <laughs> <laughs> it landed. It landed. <laughs> uh, yes, we are opening up to beneath now where we see we're introduced to Tai Long Shadow who calls Jaime. He is um, saying that he's done with Maurice, as we are. We don't even know who Maurice is, but we are riding with Ty now. Um, and he tells him that he had another fight with Maurice. He's planning on buying a ticket to, to Houston. And Jaime tells him, just meet me by the statue um, of Cochise that's nearby, and we could just we could just talk this through. You don't have to leave. But um, Ty seems committed, like he's ready to go, as Jaime flies off to try to catch him. This is where Ty starts walking over to the statue because it does seem like maybe he is willing to, you know, talk with his friend about what's going on. Unfortunately, he's immediately grabbed. And um, I got to say, this is some crazy level of detail here that they incorporated. They were like, you could tell he was grabbed because the skateboard just rolls away. And it's just like, oh, no, he's grasping the shadows. And all that was left is the skateboard. <laughs> Hits the statue dramatically. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, after this cold open, we cut to uh, a couple of heroines on the bio ship where Nightwing is addressing them. 
They're they have another mission uh, around Bialia. So that means Queen. They're dealing with Queen B, and that means that they wanted to send an all female team because um, they didn't want any um, male members to fall under the spell of Queen B. And I, oh man, I, this is a great dialogue exchange where Batgirl says, would you have felt the need to justify if it was an all male team? And Nightwing tries to answer and he goes, there's, there's no right answer to that, is there? <laughs> Nightwing, the world's greatest detective, everyone. <laughs> Move over, Batman. <laughs> Oh gosh, great scene, great opening. Um, as we are seeing this team with we have Batgirl, we have Miss Martian, Bumblebee, and newcomer to the team as well, Wonder Girl, Cassie. As they arrive in Karak, they are try they decide that the best course of action is to be as sneaky as possible. That is the mission parameters. So they are going in there because apparently there's been some recent boom tube activity and transports have been happening. So as they are trying to decide to go the secret route and this, and just really think about the stages plan, we hop back over to what's happening with Jaime as he continues his search for Ty, as he heads on over to find and talk to Ty's mom, Shelly, who shares that she doesn't know where Ty is and that like, you know, he was on the phone with Ty. He heard all the conversation. He knows that Ty wanted to leave. He knows about the fight with Maurice. And this is when we get finally introduced to Maurice. Yeah, <laughs> Maurice, man. So uh, you can already tell from the mom that just telling her side of the story, saying like Maurice just had a bad day. And Jaime going, I hear he has a lot of bad days. So there's definitely mm-hmm. some domestic abuse, um, you know, coding language in here. And Maurice immediately is getting on Jaime's case. He doesn't want Jaime there. He makes it clear he doesn't care about Ty. And the bug wants to attack this guy. And we're all on his side. But he recognizes that vaporizing a man in his living room may not be the best move for a young hero. So he decides to stay, keep his suspicions on Maurice, but he will not push the issue right now as he continues his investigation uh, because they also have another lead that Ty could possibly be at his grandfather's house. So while he goes hunts down that lead, we cut back to the stealth mission where Cass has been re- designated to sit back and observe. And here is where she gets a, we get a blast from the past because although everyone thought he was out of commission in the hospital, in a coma, Simon says himself is here. And that means no telepathic link, no comms. If they're going to get out of this, they're going to have to find another way. Mm-hmm. And he's joined also by Icicle Jr., who's gotten more of a glass jaw since we last seen him, uh, Mammoth, as well as Shimmer. Uh, so already we see three power, four powerhouses here, each one competent enough to take down or at least fight toe-to-toe with our heroes that are here. So one the girl that decides that the best course of action is to, um, even though she was said, told to stay back, she decides to invade the facility and try to see if she could find her teammates so that she could warn them to not use any psychic links, not use any of the radio communications, 
and try their best to just get out of the situation because clearly they are dealing with false data. Um, fortunately, she finds Miss Martian first, so Miss Martian is quickly able to shut down the telepathic link because she sees Simon off in the distance, and they decide to split up to go and try to see if they can warn the others. As she decides to go and find Batgirl, and Cassie, or one of the girls, is going to go find Bumblebee. Unfortunately, though, when Cassie is leaping tall buildings with a single bound, um, we also have villain Devastation. Uh, this is honestly probably the most one of the most Jack characters in our show today. Um, she sees her shadow flying around and immediately jumps like she's got like LeBron James hops to grab her from the sky and hold her down. And just when you think all is lost, we head on back over to Jaime's investigation to go meet Hauling Long Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice little cliffhanger there. Um, so when he meets um, Ty's granddad, uh, the granddad's not bothered too much. He's more concerned with drinking his water because the granddad does not know where he is. His grandson is. He thinks maybe his grandson is on some sort of quest, some vision quest to find out who he really is. And during this conversation, he keeps throwing hints at Jaime that you have to reconcile with the one inside you. And hilariously, the bug is like, he knows too much. Let's eliminate him. Um <laughs> even though it's all a metaphor. So Jaime is now left with no leads, no choice but to go back to his original suspicion of Maurice. As he goes over there, we see that Wonder Girl managed to escape from devastation. She definitely ate her Wheaties this morning and was able to get out of devastation. And we get a nice little action sequence here where we get a, a slow-mo block of a bullet from Wonder Girl. Mm. Um, Wonder Woman would be very impressed with. So as Wonder Girl is fighting for her life, B runs into Batgirl in an, a, a very realistic air duct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this has actually always been something in mind, like a, a question of mine I've had for years. It's just like, how big actually are air ducts that people are just able to traverse through that? I'm talking about Bruce Willis and Die Hard. I'm talking about all of Batman, I'm talking Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, all these characters are able to just slink through air ducts, and from what I've seen shoulder-wise, none of these characters should actually fit. So, I also in The Simpsons, like, I'm, Groundskeeper Willie, how? Like, <laughs> I need to know. Um, so, as they come face-to-face -face here, uh, Batgirl and B decide that it's time to just head on back to the rendezvous point, which is actually the same place that they first met up. So um, as they're trying to make their way through, Batgirl does, is able to pull up her hollow pad to um, uh, find the best route. Unfortunately, the schematics were a bit off because apparently as they are going through the air, the air vents, they enter through one that leads them into an underground um, chamber. It's just like this cavern that looks like it's thousands of years old. There's a bunch of like hieroglyphs on the wall. And they see that uh, the people, like the, the henchmen that are operating in there are working on the computer to... So this is where Batgirl decides she's going to scout around a bit. Um, but of course, this is going to be a story for another time because more importantly, she finds a cargo plane ready for departure filled with dozens and dozens of 
teenagers who seem to be put in stasis. Yeah, but the victory is short-lived because Batgirl is taken out. And um, as the villains, as the villains are assembling and figuring out what to do, Icicle Jr., I'll give this guy credit. He mentions that uh, maybe we could get rid of all these kids, but the Bat Brat, as he calls her, that's a problem. We do not want Batman smoke. And Simon basically goes, I don't care. He could come <laughs> after me. I don't, I'm ready to die today. <laughs> I will get rid of Batgirl and, and puts her in cold storage along with the rest of the teens he's captured. Meanwhile, Jaime finds Maurice. Maurice has a real sus shed. And upon opening the shed, we get the reveal that Maurice, like the Fast and Furious crew, is stealing pirated <laughs> materials. He, Maurice has every DVD. He has Pirates of the Caribbean 7. He has Avengers <laughs> 16. Everything is in there. It's a shack mm-hmm. full of it. It's like, it also has video games too. So I'm pretty sure if you dug around well enough, you might find Suicide Squad kills the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some Soldier Soldier Tendo. What was it? The the Soldier Tendo consoles. Oh my! Wait, wait, wait! Ah, oh, crap! I need to stop. Crap! Um... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Soldier Those Boy things. exclusive yeah. console is, he, he got them. <laughs> he had three of them. <laughs> that was. Oh my gosh. So while Jaime is just looking at all this, like, I don't even want to call it wealth because some of these things might be so fake. It might as well have just be, I don't know, it's just too bad to even comment on any further. Uh, Maurice immediately grabs him. And this is where, you know, he finally says, starts pushing Maurice. Jaime starts pushing Maurice to give him an answer about where is Ty. Um, so when he doesn't know what's going on, Maurice clearly is telling the truth that he does not know where Ty is. Jaime, he's like even saying that, like, you know what? I'm gonna call the cops on you, Jaime, for even breaking into the into my shed. So this is where um Jaime decides that like he says he doesn't want to call the cops because you know there's too much on him already. It would be one, he has a scarab, there's a question there, two, it's late at night. Three, he's a kid of color. Um, that that should just be enough for us there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where Jaime decides that you know what he's going to let Maurice go because clearly the scarab's telling him that Maurice is telling the truth. So he decides that he's just going to turn um, Maurice over for the pirate DVDs later on, and he's going to just try to continue his search for Ty, even though they're back to square one. Yes. So while since that is pretty much resolved we go back to uh batgirl and batgirl's still in trouble but bumblebee flies in and shocks batgirl because she's the only one qualified to fly a plate on the team honestly everyone else could fly (laughs) it's so ironic uh i love it um so as they're as they get batgirl out of there that obviously gets the rest of the villain's attention. So Simon and Megan get into another mental battle. And this is a clever twist because I was expecting it to be rendered again. But instead, Simon's like, Icicle Jr., go and kill Megan while I have her distracted with this mental battle thing. And Icicle Jr. still has a grudge from Bell Rev 
of being deceived <laughs> by Miss Martian, which is a great callback. Um, but the plan falls apart when B just shocks Simon, just shocking him out of the um, mental battle just enough time for all of them, be, the Simon and Icicle Jr. to get taken out. So now it's just devastation. Just got to deal with devastation. Who says I threw hand I threw hands at Wonder Woman and survived? So what y'all got? Ooh, and she was not kidding because Homegirl was giving everybody the work while standing on top of a plane, y'all. Like again, devastation might be Marmos Jack character today. <laughs> um, but she quickly lost that title because oh my god, my girl Wonder Girl came through with the lasso and basically pulled a scorpion, dragged her back up towards her, and gave her the one-two combo like a KSC special and knocked out devastation off the plane. Unfortunately, though, because of the fact that the uh, they were trying to close the hangar doors at one point, and for some reason, the wingspan was not as was bigger than the hole that the plane was coming out of. The plane, the wings of the plane fell off. <laughs> so yeah. now that seems like a, a huge whole, design flaw, <laughs> right? <laughs> who built this cave? Clearly, it was not the people who built Batman's cave because why did that happen? Oh man, well, you know, all seems to be lost. Um, with no wings, we, again, this is Batgirl who was flying this thing. Fortunately, every single flying character tries to keep this plane from falling, but our OG member of the team, the secret weapon, Bioship, comes through to save the day. Uh, much like in Fast and the Furious 9, actually, and just pulls out a random clip of, like, clippers from underneath its, like, belly to grab the plane, just like how John Cena was saved in the beginning of Flash 9. Flash 9. Uh, <laughs> just like in the beginning of Fast 9. Yeah, that oh yeah, that was a Fast 9 yeah, reference. Uh, <laughs> guess that's where they got the idea. Um, so as they get away and Nightwing congratulates them on a mission well done, the back in the base, it's revealed that Queen Bee is like, look, this could have gone bad, but luckily we got a second shipment already because our mysterious partner wants more. And this where it's revealed that additional kids are in danger, including one familiar face that we'll get to later, and Ty has been captured. And that's where we leave as a cliffhanger as we go to a non-bad edition of Bloodline. Oh <laughs> damn! <laughs> uh, Never yes, forgive you, Wonder no... Woman bloodlines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, we open up to a very barren wasteland of a world here, where um, this bald man is checking up on this kid who is working on a machine, and you know the guy says, "You know, I wish I could come along with you, but unfortunately, there's only one seat." Um, and we don't really know what's going on here because this is when the title, the title credit rolled, uh, but immediately we get jumped back over to our team's home base. We're in Mount Justice where Nightwing is on his like computer with no background. It's just literally all screen. I'm still wondering why we don't have this technology yet. Um, as he's investigating what the proletarians were looking after because Finally, it got explained to us why Martian Manhunter and Miss Martian 
were dressed up as Krolateans went during the um the episode uh episode three when they were in the bioship like that. It is revealed that they hacked into the system, pulled all the records, and it was revealed that they're looking for something inside the human captives that they've been taking. And the nearest translation for that is metagene, which uh no one knows what it means. Like, you know, it's metagene, we know it. We kind of have an understanding of it thanks to nine years of the flash. But honestly, at this point, I don't think metagene was kind of a term being thrown around that much in comics or other shows, right? I don't think so. I like, yeah, and definitely not in Marvel side. It's just kind of you have superpowers, you don't. Um, right. Yeah, metagene, the the time to uh, explain why so many people have uh, got it. Uh, mm-hmm. So... This is a good this is a good revelation that goes on will go on to affect a lot of things. But as they're absorbing this information, they get an unknown energy impulse detected and a time machine lands right in their base and out pops a new uh, the speedster we saw in the intro. He is talking fast, going around them, but he says, look, I'm going to go, actually. So I love that Tim Drake and Beast Boy are there, yeah. and they have enough clout that Nightwing's like, yo, go and take him down. Go take a speedster down. Yeah. That was unfair. That's, you know, I was just like, I need to know why to, um, Dick has so much confidence in that, because that's like Batman-level disrespect of like, hey, y'all y'all kids, go take down this clay face creature get molly wafted i'll just come in for the win later on or something which ex- is just what exactly happened now i'm realizing it oh yeah 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 i think it was all a setup because he knew they couldn't do it <laughs> oh, because i will say it was a pretty good takedown on nightwing's part like throw marbles around the floor trick the speedster and then come in and flank him with a full-on like tackle um this proceeds to him putting like handcuffs on his wrist and ankles and this is where the interrogation starts um we have this character impulse who was given the name by beast boy um he starts saying that his name is bar allen he claims to be um the future grandson of the flash even drops all their names which got pretty upset with beast boy here just like your name is tim when he looks at robin he's like and your name is dick like (laughs) sir Sir, you ain't need to stress that so much. <laughs> yeah, and granted, because this is the DC universe where clones and mind readers and everything exists, they they don't they don't really believe him right away. And I do love Impulse' quick line going, you know, half the people in Comic Con are time travelers in our era era, and I love that line. Uh, so because <laughs> that was absolutely was where time travelers would go, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> After giving Impulse some water, they so Mal Duncan shows up for his shift and Impulse reveals, oh, I was waiting for a door to open and runs right out of the base. I did wonder why they even bothered with handcuffs on a speedster, but it is revealed that Nightwing snuck a micro tracker into the water so they can follow Impulse wherever they go. We were out here playing Connect Four and he's playing six games of chess at the same time and winning. <laughs> My boy, Nightwing. <laughs> Word. Word. 
Oh man, thinking ahead, and I I will say when he even back in the when he when impulse was just like, oh, you try to get my DNA, and I was just like, oh yeah, that seems possible. Nah, man, Nightwing, Nightwing's ahead of the game here. Um, so this is where Nightwing decides once again, trying to get ahead of the situation, that he sees that impulse is making a head uh, a beeline towards Central City, so he calls in for favor. Which leads us to our next story that's happening here as we head on over to Tibet, where uh, Cheshire and Red Arrow, who's finally decided to pick up a Gillette Razor, <laughs> hashtag not sponsored. Um, as they decide, they found the one place where there's like a possibility where the real Roy Harper might have been for years because, once again, she could go to places where the good guys can't. And this is where we get the biggest reveal of all. They brought the baby on the mission, y'all. Yeah. Um, why they couldn't get a babysitter? Well, actually, I'll I'll get to that later. But yeah, they have the baby on this mission infiltrating a ninja base. Um, which is a choice. So as they get to go on what are the worst ideas ever, we get impulse arriving to a celebration for Jay and his wife's uh, wedding anniversary. And Impulse arrives saying, hey, so nice to see you, granddad in your prime. You know, he's very quick to emphasize the in your prime. And again, they're also doubting that he's truly who he says he is. So one of the best running jokes of the show, Impulse reveals that Iris is pregnant with twins. And he goes, oh, spoilers. And I do love like all his... Hints of the future are called spoilers uh, from this point on. <laughs> and he couldn't have better timing um, because as Wally arrives there, because Wally also got the heads up that things might be going down, there's an attack in Central City. It now feels like an episode of CW's The Flash because there's some guy <laughs> attacking downtown Central City. And we after we get a dope, Flash transformation sequence. Um, they really went ham. We get one of the lamest lines where uh, Barry goes, I'll be back in a flash. And everyone goes, and Impulse goes, does he say that often? And everyone in the room just looks down and just grunts. <laughs> <laughs> so while this is all happening and we're all trying to wash away the bad taste of back in the flash from our minds, uh, we see that the villain here is uh, this being that is able to create concussive blasts that seems to be just emanating out from him nonstop. You know, people are about to get unalive, so fortunately, Flash is able to appear in time. He, in fact, saves a woman and her baby just in time. And, you know, as a new 52 reference, brings them over to the Fox and Gardner shelter that's not too far away. Uh, so now... Flash is just battling it out. We see that this being is throwing energy like blast itself, like not just this circle of energy, but he's throwing this energy blast at the Flash. Luckily, the Flash is fast enough to dodge it all. And this is where we see that um, he does unfortunately get hit by one and a wind funnel comes out of nowhere to guide Flash gently down to the ground as we see that his grandson, quote unquote, does appear and it said he says that like oh yeah dad taught me how to make that or rather or your son or you'll get to know that or you told me that so anyway it's flash knowledge random things so much stuff this is where 
now all um flash heads on over to with impulse to talk with the police captain where kid flash is also there as they're trying to get an update about what's going on and try to even think about the best course of action to take down this villain i yeah i do love that uh this is another nod where the officer's like, are you, what's Speedy doing here? And it's like, no, that's the other guy. And Impulse is like, <laughs> why? History books were always unclear on why he was Speedy and you were Kid Flash. Um, so um, we get get some important pieces of uh, foreshadowing here um, because we see some, from a distance, some aliens are speaking in some language we don't understand, but they are using the same phrases that Kid Flash is using. They're mentioning meat. They're mentioning filling the mode as uh, mm -hmm. Kid Flash, which, which is, you know, bad. Uh, crash, which is good. So there's some something odd going on here. And after we see you take your grandson to work day, we get take your baby to work day again because Artemis and Roy, <laughs> sorry, not Artemis, uh, Cheshire and Roy are fighting through the base. And this is when Cheshire mentions, yes, ac accurately, that she could have called Artemis and dropped her baby off at Artemis. Because at first I thought Artemis maybe didn't know about the baby, but she did. Mm -hmm. um, so they managed to defeat a bunch of ninjas, but the baby cries, alerting every ninja in the building. And as they're surrounded, we go back to Wally, Flash, and Impulse, where... I, I love this this scene right here because Flash and Impulse at one point start talking about their plan, but they talk so fast that Wally can't understand what they're saying because uh, they're mm -hmm. talking in Flash speed, which I think is just mm -hmm. an amazing little beat. Yeah, I would love to see more of this because I don't think we had a chance to see this as much as even in the CW Flash. Like this, um, you know, it's more like he goes into Flash time and even just these little jokes was just like, you know, I got every fifth word of what they were speaking about. Um, so this is where they decide that they do come up with a plan. Um, and the plan is to once again, create that same wind funnel that impulse created so that they can use that as an opportunity to distract this being neutron who impulse keeps giving the name, um, which is a good question here that gets asked by Flash and Kid Flash. It's like, how did you know what his name was? And he's just like, oh, yeah. And he, it seems like he's lying here. It's just like, I heard him yell it out. It's like, my name is Neutron. Ah. Um, <laughs> so this is where <laughs> it literally exactly that's how it was done in the show. I kid you not. <laughs> uh, so Impulse decides he goes through, he makes the um, the wind tunnel, and this gives um, Kid Flash and Flash an opportunity to take down Neutron, destroying the containment suit that he had. And what it seems like all has been saved, like his body is like completely disappeared. Unfortunately, they start seeing that his body starts to reform itself, leading to an even worse scenario. The concussive waves that were coming out of him seem to be increasing in an exponential like timeline yeah they gotta stop this this is not good for central city especially for the tourism bureau that's been taking a hit <laughs> lately um so flash decides okay he sees that they're using wally's goggles sees that there are micro uh openings for him to go in and potentially stop neutron so 
Flash is like, I'm going to slide in in one of those. And I also love that all three of these scenes with all three of them together establish that Flash and Impulse are faster than Wally, who, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't genetically get the speed like Impulse Impulse did from the original Flash. So as Flash is going towards um, Neutron, Impulse follows and trips up the Flash. And right before, right after he trips, Neutron lets off another explosive wave. Don't know how anything was left in Central City after all this, to be honest. And um, it's revealed that it was the right choice because had Flash gone in to try to move Neutron, he would have been caught in the explosion. So as they're looking around saying, hey, where is Impulse? Impulse goes to Neutron and very suspiciously gives him a blue sphere that negates Neutron's power and returns him to normal. So as we're reeling over that, we go back to the uh, to Tibet, where it reveals that the they were really careful with the baby. Yes, they're able to take down every single ninja um, as they open up a door to where... Um, and another funny thing here, of course, is that their daughter is laughing in delight, which according to Roy or Red Arrow here, he's like, I don't understand why it's why she's so happy about this. And Chester just says, oh, it's probably just genetic, given, you know, the fact that she is the daughter of heroes and villains galore. Um, so they open this door that's in front of them. And in this cryogenic pod, we finally see the original Roy, the one that we left off with back in our season one finale. Um, he is he's here. Um Roy, our clone or red arrow here, he opens the door um that's to his like cryopod as the real Roy Harper drops out and Leanne is just left there laughing, saying dadas, um, implying that she knows that like they're they're two that she has two fathers now here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um very adorable moment. Uh, followed by a heartbreaking moment where we get a little bit more background on impulse and we get another look at that opening scene where it's where um, after impulse attempts to return to the future and the time machine doesn't work and he starts freaking out. We get, we get another look at the scene where in the future where impulse it's revealed that impulse knew it was a one-way trip. Like in the present, he's like, oh my God, how could the time machine not work? But it's revealed not only that it's a one-way trip, but that the person who is sending him back in the past was Neutron. And apparently, Neutron had spent years brainwashed because something earlier we found out was that Neutron's suit was a control collar. And when he exploded for the first time, that freed him from mind control. So now we figure out, we find out that he was under mind control for decades in Impulse's timeline. And now while impulse had to go back just in hopes of preventing whatever happened in his future, including neutrons brainwashing. And as he goes back, neutron, but his body changes to reflect the timeline changes as he's no longer a convicted criminal. However, the future is still destroyed, leaving the question, what happened to earth? Mm-hmm. And we're going to leave y'all pondering that as we head on over to try and figure out 
if there are if any of the plants that are in our backyards might actually be Appalachian elementals. So as we figure that out, um, this is we're gonna leave you with a podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, so now that we have wrapped up our side kicking it with you set of episodes, episodes four through six of the Young Justice Invasion, Andrew, what for you would you say is the most whelmed episode of our three-episode bunch here? Redeeming the word itself, bloodlines for me. Mm. <laughs> now now I no longer get the shakes when I hear bloodlines. Um, yeah, this episode is exactly what I love about Young Justice the and all these sh- this sh- kind of genre of superhero show where you can bring in a hero that is underutilized or um just not n- new to the cast and have them come in and make a big splash and boy does Impulse do it because Impulse not only does he bring a nice energy and balance you know he's not replacing Wally he's very different from Wally but you can sense he he's a good um, counter to this new team that they're building that could seriously need like a light jokester. So you have that. You have a lot of great stuff. I love a good time travel plot where everything makes sense. Every All of his actions were to prevent the Flash's death because Flash was supposed to die in the neutron explosion. So I love all of that. And most importantly, how it connects to the rest of the series because... The things that are set up in this episode will ripple out to the very last episode of Young Justice. So it there's a lot to set up. A lot it could have fumbled, but it never fumbles the bag. And not only that, on top of that, to make it even better, the B-plot of Red Arrow and Cheshire is not only funny, but it's also satisfying because we get speedy closure. So this episode had it all for me. Um, and I, I really, I think definitely the strongest of the bunch. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I, um, it was a difficult decision on some cases, but definitely going with bloodlines here. Uh, man, I, I completely forgot about Wonder Woman bloodlines enough, but you bringing it back up today. I feel like it definitely earned its name here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I, I, it could also just be that I love speedster stories. Like, you know, I think that, from what we were experiencing here, it definitely felt like um, it, there was a potential of it being kind of like another Superboy episode from season one, where it's just like, here's this bigger plot point that is happening that's more connected to the um, to the main story that's happening while filling this in with some like random case that's happening for one singular character. But every part of it felt right. Uh, Impulse felt like a great addition to this story especially because of all this future knowledge and understanding that like you know he is planning to try and solve this one big thing that's happening but still seeing it it didn't help um and i think that also with like the other episodes 
Um, you know, we got a chance to kind of see some of these new characters for season for the season come into play, but it did feel that like Salvage and Benisto kind of focused a bit too much on Blue Beetle, which you know, I get it. Like he is a very popular character. Um, I don't know if he was that popular during this time, but the show definitely helped him to become a very popular character. But it just felt like when you have two episodes kind of focusing on and introducing and the same character, it feels like one person got slighted. So in my unofficial Arte alteration, if you don't mind me using oh, this. Oh, yeah. I would have had Salvage um, have Superboy team up with a different rookie, but keep Beneath the same. Because with Salvage, it again, we're having two episodes focused on Blue Beetle back-to-back, and that's like even after another episode that's supposed to focus on Blue Beetle. So if Superboy teamed up with a new person, a new rookie, then I feel like it would have been a bit more balanced, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's the Superboy episode curse where every mm-hmm. <laughs> any Superboy focused episode <laughs> just doesn't get uh to the final um final finish line for me. Um, yeah, I think I agree with that alteration. I think I I think it was also weird. We were never really given a clear explanation for why Superboy specifically went on this mission. It just kind of randomly happened. Um, yeah, <laughs> which. I think was a missed opportunity somewhere in there. Uh, but I guess they didn't want to make it feel too similar to episodes where Superboy has done literally the same thing. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that was definitely of the weakest of the bunch uh, because uh, because Beneath was, yeah, it was just repeating the same beat. And Beneath was also very solid. Um mm-hmm. It just wasn't as game-changing as Bloodlines. Oh, yeah, definitely. And again, you know, we're always looking for the episode that moves the story along. So I felt like uh, Bloodlines did that because now in both batches of episodes that we've done so far for season two, one ended with like, okay, we're going to finally find out what was happening with that 16 hours of missing time from our heroes. And this is like, okay, there is a much bigger thing going on. It is on par with like the you know who's the mole i think this still works within the story of now just like incorporating all of this it does feel like okay there's something much bigger at play but we still don't know quite what it is and it felt like that too so good setup for the main plot main conflict in this sixth episode here all right and with that um well, of course, we don't have any comic books that tie directly to Young Justice. Um, the television series is happening here. But we do have some comic book knowledge. Um, because today, as I mentioned, we did get introduced to a couple of new characters, um, such as the Appalachians. Um, not much I could share about them because Superboy did actually a pretty decent job on that one. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But I will share that they have appeared in 18 issues and their first one was Justice League of America number nine back in February of 1962, where that one was written by Gardner Fox and I kid you not, Mike Siskowski. <laughs> Mike Wazowski. <laughs> yeah, um, same story. It was, as I mentioned, they came to Earth. They, ju- they fought the Justice League before they were the Justice League. They got Molly, Molly, they Molly the Justice League. And um, fortunately, this time around, though, I 
think they actually in the comics they actually separated them because they came back later on in the point. Mind control the Justice League to re to help reform them. Okay, well, I mean, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up in terms of sidekick intros, I'm also going to introduce uh, two more here. I would have dropped in Blue Beetle, but honestly, this whole season is his origin story. So if anything, we can compare it by season's end um, So to see how it compares and see if like ties with Ted Cord, um, how it will match up with the live action production that's coming out. We don't know. We're, we'll figure that out. But we did get introduced to two side characters. The first one I'm going to talk about is Bart Allen, a.k.a impulse um so as we know he's a speedster from the future as we see in the show uh he first appeared in comics in flash number 92 by mike um Waringo and mark wade that was released in may of 1994 and again unlike his cw counterpart he is not the son but the grandson of barry and iris and he is the son of their kid Dawn. Um, they did have twins, Dawn and Dawn, uh, spelled differently. Uh, so Dawn Allen. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. really bad. I don't, it's like I would, I would hate being in a class with them just for roll call alone. <laughs> Dawn, Dawn, you'll never be able to. Your kids, you'll never be able to call them. <laughs> uh, so they, Dawn, the son, uh, is Bear is Bart's father. And his mother is Melanie Thawne. Yep, that's right. She is a descendant of the reverse Flash. It was me, Barry. <laughs> uh, so she's also, if you see her in the comics, she is the inspiration for the style of hair that uh, Bart has, that kind of like Sean Hunter for Boy Meets World haircut that I'm pretty sure that Ryder Strong hated for years. Uh, so Melanie and Dawn got together because, like Romeo and Juliet, they wanted to end the millennium-long feud between the Allens and the Thons, and they were able to have Bart. Uh, so thankfully for Flash fans out there, the CW show, you might be a bit familiar about this character, where, or at least the story, where Iris was trapped in the future, in the 30th century, and when she finally found her way back, she brought along a surprise, which was Bart, because Bart inherited his family's super speed. Unfortunately, it aged him like crazy. Like that movie that Robin Williams was in, um, movie Jack. Yeah. Yeah, that was what was happening to him. So at the age of two, he looked 12. That's, well, I mean, Superboy's been doing that, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Uh, so he actually spent his entire life growing up in virtual reality that his grandfather Barry created because he wanted to create a world where he can exist that matched up with how he was looking, but also his mindset. Um, we kind of get a chance to see a little bit of it in that comic, but for um, back in our Flashpoint episode, our very first episode, we talked about a little bit about Bart's introduction to the to the world and what was happening to him during Flashpoint. You can kind of see how it was developed. It looked a lot like the Matrix, where it's just like all these machines and people in pods kind of set up and just like connected to everything. Um, but again, Iris found out about this, so she decided to bring Bart back to the past with her to try and see if maybe somebody could help him. And that person ended up to be Wally, who um, she asked if she can help with stopping his hyper acceleration metabolism issue. Wally was successful. 
uh, not through science, but through speed training, because for some reason, by putting Bart through all the typical trials of a speedster and training him to use his abilities well, his metabolism just kicked into place, curing him of his Jack syndrome. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Bart ended up staying. Um, he ended up also, unfortunately, bouncing around mentors. So he eventually started, he, um, while he couldn't take too much of his impulsive nature, a name that was actually given to him by Batman. So when while uh, Bart ended up being trained by Max Mercury, another speedster, that led to him becoming a founding member of Young Justice. And well, and that's just how his journeys continued. He's still in the Young Justice comics now, but um, he's also joined by his other teammate, another character we got introduced to today a little bit more, Cassie Sandsmark, a.k.a. Wonder Girl, who is the third Wonder Woman or Wonder Girl person to use that name. Uh, this is after Diana and Donna Troy, and she was first introduced in 1996 in Wonder Woman number 105. Um, there is another version of this Cassie Sandsmark character that was more introduced in New 52 recently. I don't want to talk about her because that person was a bit more brooding and had like a lot of ties to Trigon. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, so perfect for the Titans show. Not so much here for our Young Justice series. Everything's perfect for that show, huh? <laughs> 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 so i'll talk about our original cassie Sandsmark, who um at this point um we get introduced to her because wonder woman after another big moment in her storytelling she decides to move and she starts working at a museum where she gets introduced to her boss helena Sandsmark and her daughter cassandra um Originally, when Cassie gets or Cassandra gets introduced to us, she's kind of more of a tomboy. She has short hair. Um, and when you see her in other in older iterations, she does have this kind of like, um, I don't really know how to describe it, but just definitely like a fade haircut with like a, more hair on top, like tightened up on the side kind of style. Um, she also has in some scenes wearing like very short, short pigtails. Um, so... Cassie, she was, again, raised by her mother, was a single mother. She would often join her mom on these archaeological digs because that was her role at the museum. And she came across the first of the Greek artifacts that would start giving her powers, such as the Gauntlets of Atlas, and which gave her super strength, and the Sandals of Hermes, which gave her the ability to fly. Much like any person who finds um, Greek artifacts that gives them power, she immediately went to crime fighting and joined Wonder Woman on some of her adventures. It was later revealed, though, that Cassie's father was actually Zeus. Sisters! <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know, because Zeus be Zeusin, uh, of course, it was revealed that they didn't know this because he had disguised himself as another person to seduce Hell on the Sands, Mark. Um, I guess in his attempt at an apology tour, he decided to grant Cassie her full demigod powers, but it came with the caveat that her mother could turn them off at any point if she so wished. Oh, okay. That's convenient, really. So Cassie would end up using those powers to fight alongside Wonder Woman. Uh, she got a lot of her, unlike her predecessor, Donna Troy, who got a lot of her character development in the um, Teen Titans comics, she got a lot of hers within the Wonder Woman comics. Um, so that led to her having a chance to spin off to join the Young Justice roster alongside characters such as uh, Robin, Tim Drake, 
Superboy and um, Impulse himself. So she also got trained by Artemis, not our archer here from the Young Justice series, but there is a another Amazonian woman by the name of Artemis. So she got trained by her and she was able to get the lasso of lightning, which I don't think it, we it might actually be the same lasso that we see in the show that she uses, but the lasso of lightning was given to her by her brother Ares. And um, it uses the, it has the ability to conjure the lightning of Zeus. Uh, so I do hope we get a chance to see that more in the Young Justice series. At least more than we'll see static, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all these electrical heroes need to find one home, including static. Um, and as I mentioned, um, because they are all both on the Young Justice series, Young Justice, um, returned in rebirth recently through the dc comics set of comics um in 2019 it's still ongoing so you can see more of her adventures there uh i think the funniest thing that came out of her whole story as a whole is just the fact that um again as i mentioned she was originally portrayed as a tomboy but when it was revealed that cassie was the daughter of zeus comic creators started to run with that and decided that oh because she's a daughter of zeus and aka a demigod she must be hot Hence why every single version of Cassie Sandsmar since then has been a woman with long blonde hair and looks toned as heck. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, comic creators, where <laughs> what would we do without you? <laughs> uh, but yeah, with that, those are our two um, intro characters here. Um, I think Bart, for his story, obviously was too crazy to put onto Young Justice like this, but I think it does work in its own way as well as um, the fact that like Wonder Woman and Cassie do share their moments. You could kind of sense that this origin story of Cassie's does kind of um, translate, could possibly translate well into this show. Uh, but we're going to continue on and try to see how that happens as we're back next week with our next set of episodes of Young Justice Invasion. We're going to see everything. You know, we found out what's the, our, most of our heroes are off world. We found out what the major plot of conflict is. Um, so while we keep on going with that, we just remind you all to take care of yourselves and remember to um, always keep an eye on your drinks because you never know when someone's going to try and lowjack you. And if you decide to pirate a lot of DVDs, don't keep them in a shed. That's very easy to find. Stay digital, <laughs> my friends. <laughs> <laughs> get yourself a hard drive. <laughs> and get out of the year 2005. Why are you pirating DVDs? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Yet Another DC Animated Podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.